Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the IT News Podcast. Our guest this week is Richard Holmes, the CIO of Westpac's Specialist Business Division. Now, this is the division that's been set up to aid the divestment of Westpac's non-core banking assets. And so we have what I think is a really interesting conversation about the challenges of ring-fencing large IT assets and unwinding tight systems integrations to prepare those assets for life outside of the Westpac group. We hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm CIO of the Specialist Business Division, which is the division that's been set up in Westpac to basically divest the non-core banking assets. So we're talking here about the life insurance, general insurance, auto finance, and the BT platforms business and superannuation business. So my role is fundamentally to get those businesses in shape and to take them through the sales process, obviously to run the IT in the meantime, but importantly, work through the separation options and how we would actually divest these businesses. How does one get a business prepared from a technology perspective for divestment or separation? It's all about being really, really clear about your perimeter and what's included. And then from there, you're trying to work out how tangled you are within the group and how much you need to segregate and segment. And then obviously, depending on the buyer, they may already have a target state set of technologies that you migrate to, or they may want to pick up your technologies, at which point you're working through effectively, how do I lift and shift my technology? So that's two options. And then obviously, sometimes you get a combination of both. You're doing some data migrations, but a buyer's got their eyes on one or two of your technology assets and you're looking to move them out. So it's really about working through with the successful bidder and buyer what their target technology state is and how do you sequence the various data migrations and technology moves into their landscape to enable the go-forward business. So from that, how much of the work would you do in advance of, say, the successful bid or purchase versus how much would you do after once you understand more about what the specific buyer or bidder would want? And I know that's a bit theoretical. I'm not sure whether there's a response there that might. Yeah, no. So like, let me talk about the BT platform specifically. Mm. This is the one we're focused on right now. Obviously, that's the jewel in the crown, if you like. It's one of the largest contemporary app platforms in the marketplace. And that's absolutely going to be a technology asset that the successful bidder is going to want to acquire and take on. So we do a lot of work defining, like I said, the explicit perimeter, what's in the current state, and then thinking through how would we separate it from the Westpac group and how we would ultimately carve that out. And then are you carving it out as is? Or in the example here with Panorama, are you going to be carving out but doing somewhat of a transformation along the way? So if, if you were to take Panorama, what we'll be looking to do as we move it out is actually rather than lifting and shifting from a Westpac data center to another data center, we'll be looking to modernize the platform, um, take advantage of the cloud environment, which is the next evolution of the software for Panorama, and actually move it into the cloud as we move out. So you're considering all those various options and nuances along with the bidder and what their target architecture is, but also trying to obviously keep the business moving forwards. You don't want to be standing still as you do these divestments. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. What motivates, say, well, Westpac in this instance, but what would motivate you, aside from just moving forward, to modernise instead of just waiting for that lift and shift to a new operator? 
So there's a couple of things. If you look at Panorama, obviously we're privileged to have over $100 billion of our clients' monies. And we're looking after that. We have relationships with other half of the financial advisors in the Australian marketplace. So it's really important that we continue to evolve the platform, both for the financial planners and our end customers as well. From a pure technology perspective, what you're looking to do is really optimize what's the fastest, lowest risk to separate, but also enables the ongoing business strategy as well. And obviously, if you can tick all those boxes, then you've got a winner. And that cloud migration for Panorama, which I talked about, is one of those. It's the next evolution for the software. It's almost as easy from a timeline perspective to carve that out and move it into the cloud as it is to lift and shift it from one legacy data center to another legacy data center. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So maybe at this point, it might be useful to understand a little bit more about the BT Panorama architecture as it sits today and the target end state once you've reinvented some of the core components that make it up, particularly as you sort of migrated to cloud. So Panorama is a financial planning platform. It's really there to help financial planners have all of their clients and their investments all in one space, broadly called the RAP platform. Its components are really a digital front end. Obviously, these days, everybody wants to see their investments in the palm of their hands. So we have a mobile experience a desktop experience. We've actually won the Investment Trends Awards the last four years running for the digital experience, which has been terrific. That's then integrated via services layer into an underlying registry platform. We use a private banking platform out of Switzerland from Avalok, and that gives you your full breadth of access to the Australian Stock Exchange, over 800 managed funds. We have advisor models and capability on there as well. So a really broad investment universe. So Avalok um, private banking platform, a services layer, and then the digital front end. And you know, we started the program about a decade ago, actually, to rebuild that architecture and made a very conscious strategic decision to focus on the digital experience. At the time, I think the iPhone had been out two or three years when we were looking at it, and the iPad had already just come out. But you could see very quickly that particularly mobile and desktop was going to really take over from our client's perspective and a financial advisor's perspective. So we really doubled down on the digital experience and really invested our own engineering talent and capability there and went for a package for the core registry platform. And as you can see by the number of awards that we've won, we're pretty comfortable with that decision that we made. Am I right in thinking that you focused initially on the front end, the experience side of things, and now the work that might be underway to transform Panorama is more focused on the back end side of things and the architectural side of the platform? No, it's actually across all layers. Initially, we certainly just started with a customer-centered design approach when we built out that digital front end, and that's absolutely embedded in the way we do things, working really closely with our advisors and our own teams and apply customer-centered design to the way that we design our digital experience. And that then flows into our agile squads that build things out from a digital point of view. And that'll certainly continue. You can't stand still from a digital perspective. What we are doing, though, is as we separate the business and hand it over to the new buyer, we are looking at how do we take the opportunity to modernize the back end that will decompose it down into microservices and container technology as well, which obviously enables a lot of agility and flexibility going forward, which is terrific. 
one of the things I wanted to talk about was there seemed to be a suggestion in some of the articles so far about deconstruction of panorama, or at least making the architecture a lot more mm. composable. You've obviously mentioned it just there. There was also, a, um, I think, a drive to make some of the elements more easily pluggable into third-party financial planning ecosystems. I just wondered, is this what's happening? And if so, what's the sort of business driver or drivers that are behind this move to more composability? It's really exciting. I look at it and go, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting. We've stood the platform up. All the heavy lifting's been done. Now it's really about taking the opportunity to modernize and drive agility through the platform. And also it's important to take a step back and look at where is the next evolution of financial advice going? BT's purpose is really about ensuring that we enable quality advice to thrive. And that means really helping advisors to drive efficiencies in their back office so they can provide quality advice all the time to as many customers as they possibly can. So a lot of that is actually thinking about a number of things. Obviously, the digital experience is important for ease of access anytime, any place to enable that so that they don't need to waste time calling the call center. That'd be number one. Secondly, helping infuse a lot of their own data analytics, data insights with nudges from all the data that we hold as well and feeding data into their systems. So the RAP platform, in this case Panorama, is a very core part of what a financial planner has in their ecosystem, but it's not everything. They have their own CRMs. They have their own financial planning software tools, et cetera. And it's really important that we can plug and play into that ecosystem and look at the end-to-end value chain for a financial advisor and make it as seamless and effortless a back office as we possibly can so that the advisors can absolutely focus on doing what they love to do, which is seeing clients and delivering great advice. So that's where it really comes to. And the ability to decompose the application into more microservices, start to look at data streaming out, what that really does is enable that plug and play and also drive agility so you can just keep bringing functions and capability to market really quickly and respond to advisors changing needs. Mm. And what's the plan on how you approach decomposition of the broader platform? How are you going to go about working out what can be sort of containerized, what can be reassembled as a series of microservices, for example? So obviously we'll work very closely with Avalok, the software provider, and we're taking a look now at an AWS strategy with them and how we deploy that into AWS. It'll really change and simplify the way that our current digital experience integrates with their core backend platform. A lot of the services that we've built to date will be decomposed into microservices, which will really enable the speed of change and limit the blast radius when you're doing development. There's the ability to automate testing and bring in DevOps, obviously, and those kind of things. Fundamentally, it's really about delivering great customer functionality at speed into the digital experience. And also, we will be reimagining our data capability. Right now, I've got to say, we have a lot of data. We do a lot of data analytics, but it's quite old school. We pull data out when we run reports. What we really want to do is start taking advantage of data streaming technologies and streaming that out into data lakes and ultimately looking at what's important from an insight perspective for either people in the financial planning back office or the financial advisors themselves or their end customers. And we can send data nudges and data insights and be really proactive in the way we deliver service. So that's something I think is really, really exciting, a real opportunity that the modern architecture enables for you. 
Are you able to take advantage of any patterns or practices or blueprints or anything in terms of being able to move Avalok or parts of Avalok over to rehost in AWS and then to componentize it? Is this something that's fairly out of the box from the vendor side of things or something you're going to have to work very closely with the supplier on? It's absolutely something that's out of the box with Avalok with the vendor. Their last couple of versions have been cloud enabled and running containers. You talked a little bit about also the experience for the financial planner side of things. And I guess this speaks to the other side of this modernization work, which is around introducing more automation and straight through processing functionality. It'd be useful to maybe unpack that a little bit more and explain a little bit more about what sort of capabilities you're trying to add into the Panorama platform and what the end result might look like for a financial planner and also their customer. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of through processing improvements at the moment. Our platforms are complicated businesses, and we've got an opportunity to continue to drive automation, which is terrific. We're also adding in the ability for advisors to run what we call bulk reporting, which means that instead of them having to run individual reports for customers and then, if you like, aggregating them up in their own practices, they're able to have a much broader, deeper reporting capability. So that enables efficiencies in their back office. We're also bringing in a multi-insurer onto the platform as well. So customers will be able to choose different insurers. So there's just some of the things we're doing over the next six to 12 months. Obviously, right now, the immediate concern is 30 June coming up, a big end of financial year, and we're really well set up for that. So you've got to get all the basics right in the planning business as well, platform, sorry, platforms business. We continue to absolutely focus on that. And then once the successful bid is announced, then we start to work really, really closely with them around separating the business and how do we carefully divest the business out of Westpac. So you mentioned one of the big parcels of work is really to establish the perimeter. Are you able to talk a little bit about how integrated these businesses are with the Westpac group versus how standalone they are? So right now, if you were to take a look at the Panorama platform ecosystem, it's about 480 applications and about 200 integration points. If you did the target architecture for standalone wealth management business, you're probably looking at about less than half that number of applications, right? And, And less than half the integration points. Obviously, Westpac acquired BT a number of years ago, and the strategy was to integrate banking and wealth. And they were all very conscious integration points, you know, really well architected, et cetera. But now the bank's chosen to focus on its core domestic banking and businesses. We now need to go and unpick all of that. But that gives you a sense of it. It's probably half as complicated if you will, once it's outside of the Westpac group, which actually is terrific. Again, it just adds to that ability to move at speed. You're having to regression test half as much. You're having to consider half as much things in your designs, which all turns to speed and agility and low cost to run. So I think the business, once it is standalone, will be in a terrific position, benefiting from the significant investment that Westpac made. And the experience that we've had has been part of a very large skilled bank, you take the best of that. But then when you stand alone, you get the freedom to move a lot quicker because you're nimble around a single platform. And how many applications or integration points actually are reduced through the modernization? So this sort of pre-step before even the buyer is engaged? It'll be circa 20 to 30. We certainly simplify our services layer and some of the integration points out to digital. It'd be circa that kind of number. That's 20 to 30 applications and integrations? or And integration points. Obviously, you've talked a lot about a huge array of technology projects here, and this is just in the BT ecosystem, and you mentioned there's others as well. 
Um, are you able to talk a little bit about how you're resourcing some of this work? And I guess that could be upskilling of existing Westpac resources or also looking at hiring in new talent, how you're going about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think being a technologist myself, what always interests and tracks technologists is complex challenges. And I think we certainly got that ahead of us in BT. It's a very exciting place to be. Obviously, the divestment in itself and separating, but the modernization, the ability to modernize and transform and somewhat set your own destiny as to where you're going to land outside of the bank is really, really exciting from a technologist's perspective. We'll obviously certainly be continuing to evolve and build out our digital teams and attracting engineers there. And with the move to the cloud as well, we're standing up cloud universities and training courses around that so our teams know how to build on that effectively. I just think it's a really exciting time to be part of BT with the amount of change, the ongoing investment that we're making to keep the business going, but also the opportunities. It's almost a one-off opportunity you get to really refresh your technology as you exit a large bank like Westbank. One question I've asked every single guest since the start of the podcast began is what excites you about the next 12 months? Oh, it's so much. I'm really excited about the opportunity to really define a target state for BT. I touched on a lot of it around a complete modernization of Panorama and its ecosystem. That's really exciting. What I really get a buzz out of, though, is talking that through with my team and my engineering team and just getting that sense of how excited they are as well. We're really excited about continuing to evolve and invest in the business and to build things out. And then ultimately take Panorama to where we believe it should be, which is absolutely the number one platform in the marketplace. We as technologists get a smile on our face when we can combine our love of technology with great feedback from the business and our customers about how they're using our technology as well. And I think we've got a great opportunity to do that over the next 12 to 24 months. That was Richard Holmes from Westpac. And that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.